Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. This is a good word and this is a tough word. God, we ask that you take this word, transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but there is probably no greater day than the day that the keys were handed over. Is there any better feeling in the world than when your mom and dad give you the keys for the first time and say, go? I mean, there's nothing better, right? Because when you get those free keys, what do you get? You've got complete freedom. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Not only do you have complete freedom when you get keys, but now you've got a whole new level of responsibility. You've got a whole new level of responsibility because you're telling your parents one thing, you're taking one of your parents probably more expensive, but they're least expensive of the most expensive possessions. And so you've been given the keys. You've got great freedom and great responsibility. But one of the reasons it's such a great thing to get keys is because you've been feeling like you're isolated. You've been feeling like, man, I can only go where my parents will take you, take me. I'm always at home. My friends are always out and about. And so you're always feeling like, oh, if I only had the keys, I could... Right. Thing. Yes. Thing. She's agreeing with me. Thing. If you only had the keys, you could go wherever you want, whenever you want. It brings that freedom and it also brings that responsibility. Today in your life and every day in your life, you're looking for those two things. You're looking for freedom. You're looking to not be tied down. You're looking to not be enslaved to anyone or anything. 
Not only are you looking for freedom, but you're also looking for responsibility. Because responsibility brings what? Purpose. And everybody in life is looking for purpose and responsibility. When somebody feels like they're responsible for something, it gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them meaning. Everybody in this room today wants freedom and responsibility because you want purpose. You want joy. You want life. But at the same time, everybody in this room today has got a serious issue with guilt and hurt. In a crowd this size this morning, there's going to be guilt and hurt. Actually, if there was only a crowd of one this morning, we could say with 100% confidence that there is guilt and hurt. Guilt because of stuff we've done wrong. Guilt because of stuff we've left undone. Guilt is, is, is what comes to us when we do something or don't do something. And hurt comes when something, somebody does something wrong to us. And we live our lives in this, this tension of guilt and hurt. Every one of us. And guilt and hurt lead to a variety of things. Guilt leads to shame. Right? Has, I'm sure some of everybody here has experienced shame at least some point in your life. And what do you do when you experience shame? You close up. Right? And not only when you experience shame, you start to close up, but you begin to isolate yourself. Because you don't feel worthy. Guilt not only leads to, to shame, but the guilt actually leads to laziness. Guilt leads to laziness because you just don't know what to do. Not only do you not know what to do, but you feel like, eh, whatever I do is not going to matter anyhow. Because you're ridden by condemnation. And, and hurt leads to what? Bitterness. Resentment. Hurt leads to loneliness. Because when, when bitterness and resentment are, are there, what does that do? You draw away from people when you're bitter and you're resenting others. Who wants a life of isolation, bitterness, resentment, shame? No one wants that life, but rather you want the life of joy, peace, and love that comes when you get freedom and responsibility. And this morning, we hear the word from God that we do get freedom and responsibility because we're given forgiveness. And when we get forgiveness, we get that freedom and responsibility. The problem for most of us today is we've tried to isolate our bitterness or our resentment or our guilt. Well, guilt and hurt know no isolation. What I mean by that is this. You cannot compartmentalize your bitterness. You cannot compartmentalize your resentment. A lot of times we think we can. We're like, well, you know what? I'm just going to ignore that person. That person broke my trust. So what we do is we ignore it. We continue to hold that grudge. And we think, well, that's not going to affect how I treat others. It's impossible to compartmentalize that resentment because what it does is, now what it does is, now when someone else does something, it slowly builds in. Can I really trust them? Because someone else broke my trust. You know, when I come home from work now and there's a, there's a child at home, it, you, you learn something as a parent when you get home, that child could care less how your day was. That child could care less about any stress at work. That child could care less if you've got a deadline to meet tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., right? And, and so you, you enter into the life with the child, and what are you supposed to be able to do? Compartmentalize. So you've had a horrible day. Are you truly able to say, okay, I'm going to set all that resentment aside, I'm going to set all of that anger aside, and today, tonight I'm going to be perfectly patient with my child. You can shut off the cell phone, 
You can shut off the email, but that resentment, that bitterness, that shame starts to trickle in in how you treat others around you. There's no way to shut it off. We cannot compartmentalize it. So therefore, we have to deal with it. For if we do not deal with our pain, or in other words, if we're not healed from our pain, what happens is we transfer our pain to the rest of our life. And all of a sudden, our bitterness, our hurt, our guilt starts to affect everything in life because we've transferred our pain rather than be transformed from our pain. And God today wants you to be healed from your pain. God wants you today to be transformed so that that pain doesn't start to affect the way you live the rest of your life. And today we pick up the word forgiveness because we're not supposed to live a life of guilt and hurt, but rather God created us to live a life of forgiveness and extending forgiveness. Today's non-negotiable is that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and we are extending forgiveness. In Christ, you are forgiven and you are forgiving. First, forgiven. You and I today have a moral debt to God. Everybody in this room comes bankrupt before God, myself included. No matter how often you've been at church, no matter how long you've been married, you are morally bankrupt before God. It says in Romans chapter 3 that there is not one, no, not one who is righteous before God. In other words, there's not one who's good before God. And I don't think I have to dig very hard this morning to to show how we've fallen short, how we've lost our tempers with our spouse, how how, how we've cheated time at work, how we've neglected to, to show kindness when we've been prompted to show kindness. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And too often when we think of sin, we think of sin as what? That big act. We think of sin as that banker who committed embezzlement. We think of sin as, as, as the person who cheated on their spouse. Sin is, is way more than just that act. That, that's a sin of commission, absolutely. But there's also sin of omission. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4, the verses that we read earlier. Ephesians chapter 4. This can transform your life when you begin to understand that Jesus and God is not just saying no to you, but he's saying yes to you. He created you to do stuff, not just avoid certain stuff. And so we see this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Listen to what it says. It says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is is crazy. Listen to what God is saying. God is not saying, hey, stop stealing, because stealing is bad. So therefore, just stop stealing and start working. Why Why is God saying, hey, no, the person needs to work? Look at the reason why the person needs to work at the end of the verse. That he may have something to share with those in need. You see, someone could not be stealing. I could not be embezzling from work, yet I'm still stealing because I'm not sharing with those in need. The sin of omission, of not doing something. All of us are morally bankrupt before God. We've been prompted time and time again to do what? Speak that encouraging word. And what have we done? Kept it in our own mind. We've been prompted time and time again to pick up the phone, 
call so-and-so and check in, and, and what have we done? Eh, well, that's going to be awkward. We don't do what we're commanded to do. That's half the coin. We're bankrupt before God. We owe God all that good work. And not only that, but we're also bankrupt because of the other half of the coin. Because of stuff we've done that God has said, don't do. We all know that list. Don't lie. Don't look at another person with sexual thoughts. Don't be greedy. We are bankrupt before God. And in our parable today, we've got a servant that comes to the master and the servant says, I've got nothing. And look how bankrupt this servant is. This servant in our parable today, we have a hard time understanding this because we don't talk about talents, but then also, when we think of servant, we think of what? Someone that really doesn't get paid much or works for free. Well, the servant there was really an employee of this master's kingdom. This servant is in debt 10,000 talents. So basically a talent, you could say, is a day's wages. So that person is in in debt 10,000 days wages. I don't know the math on that, but you could figure it out when you get home. Thing. That guy has got a couple of years of working where he doesn't make anything. That debt just goes back to his master. That's how in debt that servant is. And in the parable, that's you and I today. That's how bankrupt we are before God. That's what we owe the creator of this universe. And, and too often in our society, we've got this view, right? When someone cancels the debt, what happens? Oh, the debt's just gone. Think about, I'm not, not making any political statements here, but think of our current political battle. How are we behaving? Woof! We can just get as much debt as we want, right? Because someday the government can just pass a bill that cancels all the debt, right? I mean, that's the way we're behaving. That someday we can just say, oh, debt be gone. And what happens? Oh, it's just gone. That's not the way it works. Think. Somebody has to pay for that debt. Who ate the debt of the employee and the master? The master did. The master had to, the 10,000 talents. He had to come up with it. That, that's his. He had to eat it. Someone has to pay the debt. You and I have a debt we owe God. It says in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, that God demands blood for every sin committed. God demands blood because God is a just God. And so we owe something to God. Because of our sin, we actually owe God blood. We owe God the sacrifice of our life. We have a debt outstanding to pay. The only way that debt can be paid is if we give our life and die. But thanks be to God that God has paid the debt on our behalf. To be forgiven, the word forgiveness means release. The word literally means just to let go. And so when the master, it says in here, the master released the servant, let him go, he released the debt. The debt doesn't have to be paid. When God forgives you and I, he releases the debt. Why? Because the debt has been paid by Jesus. Jesus has taken our punishment on the cross. Jesus has given his blood in the place of our blood. The debt has been paid. God can release us. This morning, God wants to release you. God wants to enable you to go forth forgiven because the debt's already been paid. You can't do enough good works to make up for the good works you've missed, and you can't do enough good works to make up for the bad works you've done. But Jesus has paid the debt on your behalf today. Today you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. In other words, you are released from that debt. And now that we are released from that debt, we are asked to go forth and do what? Release others from the debts they owe us. 
The most difficult word in the whole Bible may be the word as. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And if you look at the end of the parable from Matthew chapter 18, the final saying that Jesus says to the crowd, he finishes the story and Jesus finishes with, I can't think of a harsher statement. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You have to get really cute to soften this message. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, if you don't forgive like I've forgiven you, guess what you've got coming to you? Prison. This isn't an expectation that God gives us that I just, God doesn't expect us. Forgiving others is a birthright. A birthright. Forgiving others is automatic fruit of being in the family of God. If you're not able to forgive others, you've got to do some serious consideration of have you received forgiveness from God Himself? Have you accepted, have you received God's own forgiveness? Because you should be forgiving others. It's, it's, it's one expectation, command isn't a big enough word. It's, it's the life that we're called to live, a life of forgiveness. But we all know this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we overcome that hurt. God's forgiveness of us overcomes our guilt, but now to overcome our hurt, we need to extend that same forgiveness to others. How can we possibly forgive those who have hurt us? And they have hurt us. Forgiveness is not tolerance. Forgiveness is not just, hey, nothing was wrong here. Just go your merry way. No. Forgiveness is a release of a debt because something was done wrong. How do we even begin to forgive? We get a very clear picture of how we begin to forgive if we look at the king in the story. Look what the the king does in the parable. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him. If you have a pen with you, just circle and underline that word pity in your Bible this morning. That word pity means The master opened his heart to the servant. The master showed empathy for the servant. In other words, what the master did, the master identified with the servant. The master tried to understand what the servant was going through. And instead they're going, what? The servant is the one who wronged the master. How can you possibly identify with the one who wronged you? And you and I are going to be wronged. People are going to break your trust. People are going to mistreat you. And yet, The step to forgiveness is to identify with the one who wronged you. How do you do that? You do that by looking at how you've wronged God. You can identify with every person who's wronged you because you've wronged God the exact same way at some point in your life. This is the hardest, but it's the most important step that we would take pity on the person who's wronged us, that we would try and identify with them so that we can then enter in and release them from the penalty. Release them from the punishment that we want them to receive. If there's a practical application today, it's this. It's to identify with the person who's wronged you. And why do we have such a hard time identifying with the person who's wronged us? Is because usually what we do, when people wrong us, what do we do? We make a caricature of them. So if you go to the county fair and you go to one of those stands, you know, where they're drawing those pictures, those caricatures, the people, what do you do when you're making a caricature? You find a specific quality or characteristic of your person, what do you do? That becomes the whole picture, right? So imagine, you don't have to say it out loud, but if you're going to make a caricature of me, what do you do? You just have a picture of big ears, basically. And basically, but at the same time, this is exactly what you and I do with other people. 
When someone lies to us, what does that person become? A liar. That's all they are, a liar. If someone gossips about us once or twice, what does that person become? They are a gossiper. That's that's all they are. (laughs) Well, what do we do with ourselves? All of us have lied once, right? All of us have gossiped once, but how many of you go home going, hmm, oh, rich, good gossiper. We don't make that caricature of ourselves. What we do is we make that of those who wrong us. And when we do that, it's impossible to identify with them and to release them from the debt, release them from the punishment that we want them to have. God is calling us today to release. He's asking us to identify with those who have wronged us and then release them, free them. But ultimately, who's the forgiveness for? If you look at the parable, what happens to the servant who doesn't extend forgiveness. He ends up in prison. So so the forgiveness that he should have extended, who does it end up benefiting the most? Him. Extending forgiveness. You don't know what it's going to do to the other person. You can't control that. The point of extending forgiveness is for yourself to experience freedom. How's that working for you to hold bitterness against another person? Do you really think the bitterness you're holding against that person is causing that person to have a horrible life? (laughs) They could care less. I'm sorry. For the most part, they're not noticing. But what's it doing to you? It's eating you up. And it starts to affect your other relationships because you cannot isolate the bitterness. You cannot isolate the resentment. The forgiveness brings you freedom. What's at stake here? is your heart. What's at stake here is your joy. What's at stake here is your life. Guilt and hurt lead to a life of isolation, loneliness, bitterness, shame, depression. You have not been called to that today. You've been called to a life of forgiveness and extending forgiveness. Some of you here today are carrying around burdens for stuff you've done. You're just as bankrupt as the person next to you. And what God wants to do is God wants to take that burden and say, you're forgiven. Now start living like you've been given freedom and responsibility. Have you done something awful? Absolutely. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. And God wants to free you from that today. God wants to give you responsibility so you have a sense of purpose. The last thing a Christian should be doing is walking around in guilt. Because we've been forgiven. The last thing a Christian should be doing is walking around hurt because we've been asked to extend forgiveness. Today, you are being given a gift. No nice little plugs. I've got no tips for you today. I've got no nice little things that go home and write down five times on a sheet of paper what that person did to you and it's going to be gone. <laughs> no, i got no tips. I've even, I don't even have any car keys for anyone. What we do have today, though, is the key, the cross. You don't need any tips today. What you need is the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus took your punishment. At the cross, your relationship with God is restored. And at the cross, you can begin to release other people from their wrongdoing. At the cross, you can extend to others what has been extended to you. Today is the day to receive God's forgiveness and extend that forgiveness to others. And as you extend that forgiveness to others, let me finish with this. Forgiveness is a release of the penalty 
Forgiveness does not guarantee restoration. The goal of forgiveness is restoration. The whole goal of forgiving someone is to restore. But hey, all, you're asked, all you can do is release. Release them from the emotional punishment you want them to have. Release them from, from the pain that you want them to suffer. The relationship might not be restored. It's a two-way street. But you need to release from your end. And you need to let it go. Because what has God done? God has released you. To be unforgiving is a contradiction for a Christian. Because to be forgiving is to be self-righteous. To be unforgiving is to say, I can't believe someone would do that to me. Because when you're saying that, what you're doing is you're forgetting what you have done to God. Unforgiveness is not an option. Not only is it not an option, but it's a really bad idea. Because it leads to a treacherous life. It leads to a life of guilt and shame. Today is the day to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, this morning we come before you and I lift up to you each person that's in this room today. I pray that each person now would experience your right hand, God. They'd experience your favor. Uh, Lord, we, we come before you right now asking that where there is some hurt and guilt this morning, God, I ask you to break in in people's lives and enable them to experience freedom and responsibility. God, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your patience. Empower us now with your spirit to go forth and extend that forgiveness to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.